0: Back in our series on David, we pushed the pause button last week for our special guest, Jim Critcher. So here we are in week three of this, looking at specifically the rise of David. We'll look at the fall of David a bit later in the year. But this morning, we are moving into right where we left off two weeks ago. We're moving into chapter 16, 1 Samuel, that is. 1 Samuel chapter 16, and our scripture passage will be on the screen to your left and to your right. The Lord said to Samuel... Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Then Jesse had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, "Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health, had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. That's God's word this morning. So, again, why the life of David? Well, we've said that there are more stories and more words written about the person of David than there are about any other person in the Bible besides Jesus Christ. And therefore, if we really want to understand what the Bible is and what the Bible means we had better get a good grasp on who David is and what David means. And not only are there more words and stories about David than anyone else in the Bible apart from Jesus, but David is also the person with the longest single narrative written about his life, not just in all the Bible, but in all of ancient literature, which should prompt us to ask, well, if it's so important, if it's so significant, what's the story, what's the narrative all about? And the David story is really all about what all great stories are all about. The David story is all about the search for the true king. The search for the true king, the true savior. The search for a true deliverer of his people. It's what all great myths, all great legends, all great story cycles are all about. From Beowulf, to the Lord of the Rings, for one simple reason. The reason all great stories are about the search for the true king is because that's what's your story and your search are really all about as well and before you say well morgan what are you talking about you know we're done with kings you know c.s lewis said the actual record of kings is abysmal you know we've moved beyond that no consider this the fact that every four years or so our nation goes through the same kind of thing in a way doesn't it it goes through the search for a new king a search for someone who can save the people right transform the nation deliver from poverty and oppression and make things right we want someone who can change things and don't just consider of course our national landscape you can consider your own backyard as well Uh, consider for those of you who work uh, that that person or group that's Just up the ladder from you in the economic food chain, in a sense, the person you work for. What are you searching for? What are you looking for in that person? you're looking for someone who does what is right don't you someone who can stand up for the little guy right who can make a change and as long as we're at it let's just drop down one level further into your own heart what are most of us i trust seeking to be today we're seeking to be people who can do what's right regardless of the cultural temperature we want to be people who can rise above the smallness of our own lives the limitations of our soul grow through those and induce so so in doing so, effect change in our lives, our friends, our family's lives. See, the search for a king, for kingly character, that's what drives our lives, doesn't it? It shapes our decisions and our story. That search is what our lives is all about. And so the beauty of this passage this morning is this. God is saying here in this story, and hear this. He's saying, I can bring kingly character into the life of anyone who was willing to see and value what I see and what I value. Because that's what this passage is all about this morning. It's all about seeing. How you see. What you see. How, how God sees. The words look or see or seeing, they dominate the text in the same way in the previous story that the words heard or hearing or have heard have dominate Saul's story. See, in other words, the writer of Samuel is trying to show us today three things. Trying to show us how God sees, what God sees, and ultimately who God sees. And if we can do that this morning, if we can see how, what, and who God sees, we can have the character of kings in our lives. Let's begin here and look at number one how. God sees. Why does God see? The best way to see, no pun intended, we'll be using that one a lot this morning, uh, the best way to see what this passage is showing us about how God sees the world, about how God sees people, is to look at the two things in the story that the prophet Samuel fails to see. And these two things are stunning, as you'll see. All right, bad joke, moving on. Because Samuel in the story, he's literally a seer. He's the Ra in Hebrew. He's the seer. A seer was the one who was supposed to bring God's heart uh, and values and perspective to bear on the surrounding culture. But here in this chapter, when it mattered most, when his nation's future was on the line, Samuel, the seer, couldn't see what God was doing. Let's look at verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long... Will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. So what's going on here? What's what's Samuel not seeing that God is? Well, let me set the story up like this. In the previous chapter, two weeks ago, we heard, we find that Saul, who was supposed to be Israel's true king, supposed to be the one who didn't grab for power, but the one who gave power away and served the people. He was supposed to be the one as king who led the people's hearts toward God, but he didn't. He rejected God's word, rejected God's authority. In his own life, Saul enriched his own life Through dealing unjustly in war and death, and God had rejected Saul as king. And so the prophet Samuel, now, Samuel, the seer, is crushed. God comes to him and he rebukes him here, not for grieving, but for grieving for too long. God finally comes to him and says, It's not over, Samuel. I've got a mission for you. My plan for your nation is isn't through i've got a mission for you to accomplish i've got another young man for you to anoint rise up samuel Hmm? get up and go samuel stop thinking my plan for your nation is through i've got another generation for you to disciple samuel what's what's israel's seer seeing oh because he could only see his nation's failure he couldn't see his nation's future Right? When Saul fell, when his na- the nation began to slide away from God, the only thing the prophet could do was grieve and mourn over the state of the nation. And listen, it's common, isn't it? It's understandable for prophetic type people. Maybe this is you to be grieved and even angry when leaders fell fall when they fail when a culture goes dark or declines it's appropriate to do that it's appropriate to grieve over a nation when a leader loses his way again god isn't correcting him here for grieving but for grieving for too long for being lost and hopeless in his grief see samuel's grief had blinded him he couldn't see that god still had a plan for his nation an even greater plan than he can imagine. Yeah, it, it would take years to come to pass, but don't all great plans <laughs> take years to come to pass? He couldn't see God was wanting to do a new thing right under his nose, and he lost hope. Let me ask you, when it comes to our nation today, and whatever thing grieves your conscience, pierces your soul, what are you going to see? What are you going to see? many of you you're only samuels you just continue to grieve over failures or sins when you've forgotten the word of the lord rise fill your horn with oil and go disciple the next generation see you say man that's easy for god to say here right i mean the nation is still sort of on its way up but what about what about a nation on decline Hmm? well whether ours is rising or declining isn't the point of this today but i do know And you can know what God's answer is regardless. Centuries later, over in 1 Kings 19, Elijah, another prophet, another seer, he saw his nation's failure in sin and decline in his day. His nation was on the way down. His soul was overwhelmed to the point of suicide. What did God say to him? The same thing he said to Samuel here arise elijah fill your horn with oil go anoint the next generation go disciple the next generation stop your mourning stop your grieving go make a difference in your land see at the same moment another prophet could only see failure all god could talk about was the future what do you see today what do you see Are we, are you, are you like Samuel and Elijah? You're too grieved about what you read in the news to make a difference. Or will you, will we, obey the word of the Lord, go fill our horns with oil, roll up our sleeves, get our hands dirty, and disciple those coming behind us? Are we going to only put in front of our eyes? endless news cycles and Facebook posts that send us spiraling down or will you look up and see this morning the 250 kids in our church that need someone to anoint them disciple them lead the way in their lives for the next generation so grieve, grieve, grieve but fill your horn with oil and go, a go see, that's the number first way Samuel failed he couldn't see his nation's future he could only see failure but the second way which Samuel fails to see, is the same way we fail as well, and really, they're connected in a sense. In the same way that Samuel could only see failure and not the future, when it came to his nation, when it came to people and individuals, sort of on a micro level, he could only see charisma and not character. And we see that, of course, next in the story. Because Samuel obeys God. Praise God for Samuel. It says, the scripture says, he got up and obeyed the Lord. He went to anoint the next king. And God directed him to the house of a man named in Bethlehem named Jesse. Because as God said, I love this. It's beautiful. In Jesse's house. This is the literal Hebrew here. God said, I have seen me a king. Oh, it's lovely. I have seen me a king. I've seen me a king there, Samuel go anoint him. Samuel goes. And this is the most ironic part of the whole story. When it comes time to do it, to anoint the next king, Samuel totally blows it. He misses it. It's incredible. I mean, you think, man, wouldn't he have learned his lesson, right? Because wasn't he the one who anointed King Saul, right? The tall, strong, visually commanding, uh, charismatic leader, who ultimately failed in leadership because of a lack of character. Yep, that was Samuel. Pretty much was him. And yet, when given a second chance to get it right, when Jesse's oldest son comes before him, Eliab, Samuel sees the height. He sees the charisma, the power. He misses it again. Oh, you missed it twice now. Why? Why? Years ago, I had uh, not one, but I was privileged to have two roommates who were magicians or as they prefer to be called illusionists (laughs) illusionists and I was privy to watching them do their magic sorry illusions uh time and again it wasn't unusual for me to come home find them you know practicing their magic sorry illusions uh in front of the mirror or on the television and of course they they quickly turn off the instructional video on the tv or they they put the cards away or something but after a few years of watching them I learned something almost everything they ever did boiled down to one simple skill. Ready? Here it is. Not manipulating cards, but manipulating you. (laughs) Through misdirection. Through misdirection. Almost every single thing an illusionist does is predicated on keeping you looking at one thing over here while what's really going on, the important thing that's going on is happening just beneath the surface. In other words, misdirection... Not looking at what is really important is the key to getting your pocket picked. And that's what's happening with Samuel. Spiritually speaking, he keeps getting his pocket picked by charisma. Instead of seeing character beneath the surface, he's fallen for it again, cost him once, now he's about to go for it again. Keeps falling for the same trick over and over. Charisma instead of character. And God's got to come to him and correct him pretty bluntly here the lord said to samuel the text says samuel do not consider his appearance or his height why would god say that because samuel was considering his appearance (laughs) or in his height the lord does not and this is literally what the lord does not see the things people see people see the outward appearance in church if they did it in their day How much more do we do this in ours today? I mean, has there ever been a culture in the history of the world so consumed with appearance, talent, and charisma? Two ways, I'll apply this briefly. After all, what is, consider, what is pornography? What is it? It's the exact opposite of how God sees people, especially women. Pornography is looking exclusively on the outside right appearance form image and that's why it spiritually impoverishes those who consume it see it picks your pocket right you're looking at one thing over here all the while your integrity is being robbed your conscience your spiritual power your relationships are being robbed over here it's not healthy no it's destructive as will be anything that looks only at appearance or image Secondly, again, the second way, we, mean, we, we are so ingrained in this way of thinking, and this is especially tough to break out of if you're single here today and you're looking to get married. And first of all, so many of you, like I was when I wanted to get married, we, I, you, just, you come in, you screen out like 99% of the room based on what? What they're wearing, <laughs> right? Are the shoes right? You know, maybe, maybe high hair color, even age sometimes. You do. You walk in a room, you look for what? What will catch your eye, right? What will catch your eye? Listen, an appearance isn't unimportant. It is, I'm not telling you to marry somebody ugly, okay? Not telling you to, man, just marry one of Cinderella's stepsisters. Not it at all. (laughs) This story is not about the rejection of external beauty. This story is about the rejection of external beauty as the hope of your heart as what matters most David after all in the story he's mentioned as being handsome like really really ridiculously good looking (laughs) some of you caught that reference okay thank you both of you thank you for that He's handsome. Women swoon over him over and over in the Bible. Listen, God's into aesthetics. He made a beautiful planet. Uh, He made beautiful people. He's made our hearts to go after beauty. He is beautiful. And by the way, you want a God like that, though. You want a God who isn't after just what's on the surface. You want a God who values character most. Why is that? Well, here's why. Hear this. It's not a lack of beauty that breaks the world. It's not a lack of talent or a lack of gifting that breaks the world today. It's a lack of character that breaks the world. It's a lack of character that breaks your heart and breaks your relationships. And what God is telling Samuel here is this, that polish, sleekness, charisma, image, talent, gifts, and abilities are utterly inconsequential to him compared to the state of a person's character. In the same way that God sees our future more than our failures, aren't you glad? He values our character more than our charisma, which now brings me, that's number one, that brings me to a question. If true character, if kingly character is what God sees, what God values then what does kingly character look like? Hmm? What's the nature of true character? Oh, that sets up number two, what God sees. And of course, it is character, but let's ask, if he values it so much, if he prizes it so much, if he takes a whole you know, chapter here to talk about it, why? Maybe a better way of asking it would be, what's inside kingly character that makes it so attractive to our God? first it's the fact of it the first thing that makes true character the fact is it's just rare the fact is that real true character hard character kingly character it's just rare it doesn't come around all that often does it single ladies (laughs) in a sense and by the way video games will never help you to develop that okay Sorry, total aside here, not on my notes. I think my favorite all time movie line is in Toy Story Two, you know, the dinosaur there. He's playing the video games. He goes off on a mission to rescue, you know, Woody or whoever. And he says, you been thi- you'd be you would think with all my video game experience, I'd be feeling more prepared. <laughs> I'm like, like Man, that is it, right there. My video game experience. Feeling more prepared. true character is unnatural and that's the point of what god's showing samuel now look verse 8 then jesse called abinadab had him pass in front of samuel but samuel said the lord hasn't chosen this one either strike two then jesse had shama pass by samuel said nor has the lord chosen this one samuel's getting warm right jesse had seven of his sons pass before samuel but samuel said amen The Lord has not chosen these. All right, one person after another passes before the prophet, but only one has got what it takes to pass muster with God. Only one son has character so rare and true that God says, that's the kind of person I approve. See, true character is, is rare it's just in the minority of people's lives it's not the norm and by the way this flies in the face of what much of our western culture believes about human nature what most of us believe about the human heart. Consider this example. It's a fascinating book. came out not too long ago. It's by an atheist author named Dave Chappell, and it's called Stones of Hope. And he, he took a look at the civil rights movement of the 1960s, and, and he asked a question. Why did the black activists succeed when the segregationists failed? See, one was in the minority, one was in the majority. Why did one fail, one succeed? And here was his conclusion. Again, this is an atheist saying this. And he said, quote, "...while white liberals disliked segregation, they did almost nothing about it. They expected it to go away on its own. They were optimistic about human nature, the power of reason, the efficacy of education, and the inevitability of social progress." But black activists, deeply rooted in biblical faith, knew that power corrupts, that the human heart was sinful. The story of the civil rights movement is not, then, the triumph of liberal ideas of gradual progress. Not at all. Northern liberals' faith in the power of human reason to overcome prejudice was at odds with the civil rights movement's goal of immediate change. But the prophetic tradition of the Old Testament lifted African-American activists to unprecedented solidarity and self-sacrifice. Black leaders believed, as the Hebrew prophets believed, that they had to stand apart from society and institute dramatic changes to force an unbelieving world to abandon its sinful ways, the sin of segregation." Fascinating, yeah. This is an atheist saying this. What's his basic conclusion? It was this. His conclusion was that the only reason that things changed was because the black activists did not believe, as the white liberals did, that people were inherently good and would naturally do the right thing when confronted with the evidence, right? They believed that the right thing the black activists did, the right thing, the right character, true kingly character, kingly laws, those things were unnatural. They had to begin with the Bible and then press those things in the culture, can you see? So, that's the first thing. That's the fact of kingly character. It's not everywhere. It doesn't come naturally to the human heart. So then we got to ask, well, Morgan, how does it come then? Well, it comes through, wait for it, difficulty and pressure. Difficulty and pressure. Through trials, loneliness, uh, being misunderstood, through testing and waiting. All the things we don't like in life. Because look at here where David is when he's summoned. Samuel asked Jesse, oh, are these all the sons that you have? There is still the Youngest. Jesse answered, He's tending the sheep. Again, where's David? You know the story. He's out in the field, right? Doing the job nobody wanted. And consider this once he was anointed, did he stop shepherding? No. What happened next? Twenty years of testing, of trials. Two decades between his anointing and his promotion, coronation. Decades of testing, being hunted by Saul out in the desert, going out into the wilderness, right? To have its tested, its character refined. By contrast, Saul was anointed and immediately assumed the kingship and failed because of a lack of character. David was anointed. This time, there was 20 years of preparation. But think about it think about what the testing did it didn't just give him character it gave us the psalms gave us the psalms stunning songs of beauty and glory and trust in god written in the desert why why is that why is it so often that the most beautiful thing a life your life will ever produce is born and built out of the rubble of despair In the early 1960s, a psychologist named Marvin Eisenstadt started a project interviewing creatives. All you creative people in here rejoice. He's thinking about you. You're no longer overlooked. Okay. Someone sees your true talent. Interviewing creatives, innovators, artists, entrepreneurs, looking for patterns and trends. And as he was analyzing all the responses, he noticed a really surprising trend, an odd fact. A surprising number of real creative geniuses had lost a parent in childhood. So Eisenstadt decided he would investigate. He made a list of every person in human history who got more than a paragraph in the Encyclopedia Britannica. Figuring those folks are the ones who would stand out as impacting human history. Around 600 people. And he found this. Of those 600, 25%, one in four, had lost a parent in childhood before age 10. By 15, it was a third. Age 15, a third of these geniuses had lost a parent. And by the age of 20, it was half have had and even before even the years before the 20th century of course when the death rate is far higher those are astonishing numbers and in some cases he discovered this link is even stronger 67 percent two-thirds of all of england's Brit- british prime ministers during england's greatest and glory years the rise of the british empire two-thirds had lost a parent in childhood it was the most consistent predictor of success and 12 of our 44 u.s. presidents beginning with george washington of course all the way up to barack obama 12 of them lost their fathers while very very young this isn't to say parents aren't needed of course i'm not saying that you're saying men morgan men is losing a parent a good thing Men, i could use a break from my kids they'll turn out okay if i go on vacation for a year you know no no you're essential to your children's lives but what these statistics show us is this we believe what's wrong with us is our circumstances. We believe if we could just relieve the pressure, right? Do away with the burr in the saddle. Unburden ourselves of that irritating coworker. We could get along with our lives and finally get to doing something great. But what this passage shows us is that the burrs in our saddle, the coworker down the hall, and even, yes, the trauma of your life is actually what God uses to make you great. I mean, think of David. The only words recorded that his father spoke about him behind his back, we're in this passage, they're derogatory. Because when Jesse says, here's the youngest, it's a combination of two ideas, both the youngest and the most insignificant. It's the Hebrew word, the katan. It's the runt. He said, I've got a runt for a son, Samuel. Is that the one you want? gotta run his father speaks of him this way and then the only word spoken to david in the next chapter when his father tells him go check on your brothers deliver this to your brothers see he's just the errand and message boy he's beyond overlooked in the eyes of his father but consider what he did with his pain right david turned it into one of his songs psalm 27 He sang, though my father forsakes me the lord will receive me. I am confident of this. I will see the goodness of my God, my Father, in the land of the living. Don't let your pain do any less for you. Let it make you great. Now, you're probably saying by now, man, this is a tall order, Morgan. If I've understood you correctly, you told me I need kingly character, okay? But that it's really rare and only comes through incredible difficulty. How in the world... Am I supposed to get it then? Well, it's a fair question. So let me answer your question by asking you another question. It's this. What's this story, this passage today, what's it really all about? Hmm? When you read this, when you read the Bible, what do you see? When you read this, what do you read it for, right? Well, on one level, you can read it. You can read about David, for example, for what it teaches you about you, Okay? Because uh, when David, when he does well, when he's succeeding, he can give us some insight into success. When he fails, which is often, he gives us some insight into failure, how to avoid catastrophe. But is that really what the Bible is all about? Is the Bible all about you and what it shows you about you? Hmm? Because many, if not most people in Western culture again, highly individualized. Most people, including me, I was raised to read the Bible like that. But just because someone reads it like that doesn't mean that's what it's all about. If you just read the Bible like that, if you think the Bible is just there to help you be a better person, be a better husband, right, to be a good person with good Christian values, number one, that says way more about you than it does what the Bible's all about. And number two, if the Bible is just there to show you how to be a better person, then there's no real difference between the Bible and, say, an Aesop's fable, right? You guys grew up reading those? In other words, if the Bible's about you, what it teaches you about you, then there's no real difference between the David story here and the tortoise and the hare, right? I mean, like, think about that. Looks can be deceiving, right? He who starts last, finishes first. The ugly one wins in the end. Is that what it is all about? I mean, David, this the same thing. But what if, what if that wasn't what the Bible was all about at all? And what if this story really isn't ultimately about David either? You say, man, well, what does it have to do with character? Oh, it has everything to do with character and how you get it. Which brings us here to number three, finally who God sees. When Jesse makes all his sons pass before Samuel, did you notice how many it said pass before him? How many was it? There's seven, yeah. Seven's the number of completion in Hebrew culture, in the Hebrew mind. It's a way of saying, this is all there are, and there are no more. But after seven sons go before Samuel, the Lord whispers, I haven't chosen him. I haven't chosen him. And now an internal impasse is growing in Samuel's heart. He's saying, Lord, you've said you've seen you, a king here. Where is he? You've got to ask, what's going on here? Hmm. The great Hebrew scholar, Robert Alter, in his commentary on the David story, says this about this story. He says, David is, I love this, a kind of a male Cinderella. Left to his domestic chores instead of being invited to the party he's been excluded from consideration but the tending of flocks to which he had been relegated will turn out to give him exactly what he needs both in the goliath battle and later to lead his people this david story is also a heightened and stylized playing out of the theme of the reversal of primogeniture that dominates genesis instead of an elder brother even a younger brother of the seven sons the hebrew number for completion David is the eighth son, and therefore not even there at all. You see who David is here, right? David is the eighth son. He's the, literally the son of new beginnings. In other words, what no son could ever be, what no son could ever become, what Saul could never become, David could. David would. It was going to take a new beginning, a new kind of a king, wasn't it, to change the nation, and David was it. And he did it. Why? Well, because David had kingly character developed unnaturally through being tested and overlooked. Now, if this story is all about you, how does that help you? How does it help you? The truth is, it doesn't. Because then the point of the story would just be, have kingly character or God will reject you. Right? It's over for you. Not the eighth son. Bad luck. Right? Born first, stinks to be you. Second, third. The rest of them don't even have names. They're just forgettable, right? Probably most of y'all. See, God help us. If that's the point of the story, we'd all be in trouble. But what if? What if this story, like the rest of the Bible, wasn't about you? It was about someone else. See, centuries later, in Luke 24, Jesus Christ, in a moment of utter transparency, vulnerability with his followers, he took the whole Bible, especially this story, and he said, it's all about me, the law, the writings of the prophets, which is what Samuel was considered to be, the Psalms, which David wrote. He said, they're all about me say how is that oh it's like this when samuel says of eliab surely this is the lord's anointed what's he saying oh he uses a word here the word anointing is the word mashiach which is where we get our word messiah and the septuagint the greek translation of the old testament uses the word christos Christ in other words Samuel's asking here is this the Christ is this the Messiah the one who's going to save the world and save our people but Eliab wasn't Eliab wasn't which one was it was the son of new beginnings see the hidden son forgotten son the overlooked son out with the sheep who would be called to stand between God and a nation and restore honor to a broken fallen people and David did it But David, oh, it ought to point us to Jesus as Jesus said it ought to. Why? Because like David, Jesus was born in Bethlehem out with the sheep. Like David, he was anointed by God's spirit, sent out into the desert to be tempted. Like Jesus, excuse me, like David, Jesus was overlooked by and scorned by his brothers, had no earthly father to guide him to manhood. But unlike David, Jesus, though he was the most beautiful being in all the universe, he came to earth he lost his beauty he had no beauty Isaiah said that we should desire him unlike David Jesus wasn't just forgotten by his father no he was forsaken by his father on the cross see Jesus is the true anointed one who lost his beauty lost his kingdom he became ugly forgotten forsaken overlooked so that we could be made beautiful treasured and always seen in the eyes of god you say well what does it have to do with character oh it's got everything to do with character see when you see jesus giving up his beauty for you because your sin cost him that now you can lay down your pride and the thing you think makes you somebody now you grow in humility when you see jesus being forsaken on the cross because of your failure of character and then you see that he was resurrected by and honored by god for his sacrifice and you can know that though you may be overlooked by everyone around you your perfect heavenly father never does he never will you can grow in patience you can grow in forgiveness towards those who mistreat you and when you see jesus though he was rich beyond imagination giving up his heavenly wealth and becoming poor for you that you could trade your absolute spiritual poverty for his riches and wealth and delight now you can drive the death blow to your fear and your greed you can become generous see the gospel has everything to do with character And if you can see that, you can see who, not just how God sees, not just what God sees, but who God sees, his anointed one, Jesus. The character of the king can begin to flow in your life. Can you say amen? Let's trust him now to touch our hearts as we close. Lord, we just acknowledge after seeing this, man, we need help. We need help, your help, your touch. Hi God, I thank you on one hand for the incredible conviction and honestly awe-inspiring feature of the story that you see into the depths of every person's heart. If you're here this morning and you say, you know what, there's an area of character I'm just struggling with, wrestling with to make it through. And I need God's grace and kingly character to flow in my heart. Would you raise your hand this morning and pray for you? Oh Lord, I pray for these. Lord, as they look at you, how you gave up everything for them. you love them, Lord, let that perfect kingly character that begin to flow into their hearts. Like a slow drip faucet, just raising the water level over and over again. Thank you for meeting them in their place of discouragement, struggle, weakness today. Let change begin to flow today in Jesus' name. Secondly, if you're here, this is the other amazing thing about the story. The encouraging thing is that God always sees us. If you're here, you're feeling just overlooked in your life, overlooked in maybe your your marriage or your workplace or with a coworker, or friend, family. Would you raise your hand this morning? You're just feeling overlooked. Yeah. People feel that we feel this way all the time. Lord, I'm praying that these would see what you see. That you see them always. Let that encouragement now touch your hearts. Jesus' name.